0: Was a call for people to go out in the storm, look for the lost. The thing is, one person might say, Well, you know, it was really cold out and there was a storm. There was a good T V show on too. <laughs> but but I prayed for him. Okay. He was on the search and rescue team, but he didn't didn't go out there. And then of course somebody wants to be sensitive to people's feelings and say well if, if I went out there and, and I did see him you know, I mean, he might get embarrassed because of that what he did and then other people uh, say well you know I'm not really sure he's really lost actually I could be lost too and not know who am I to make a decision a judgmental decision on that of him being lost when we're all on our own paths to the journey Search and rescue team. Well, what would you feel like if you if you were actually lost out on in, uh, in in a forest and nobody ever came out to to hunt for you? You finally stagger back to civilization and you get those kind of excuses. Can you imagine that? That's not the kind of search and rescue team we want to be, do we? We want to go out and uh, get the lost. We'll be looking at that responsibility of search and rescue, looking for the lost today. That's what verse 19 and 20 is going to deal with. Why don't we stand? Let's go to God's Word. Read these last two verses of the book of James. very last two. And now, hopefully, they'll make a little bit of sense as we read along through here. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Father, thank you for your word. It is truth. And you have counsel for us every day that we turn into your word. And your Holy Spirit bring your truth to us Give us new and fresh meaning and insights. And as we look at it today, help the speaker here with his voice, help the speaker be able to portray what you meant when these words were written on the page as James finished his letter. That's what we want. We want the meaning from it. God, you are speaking to us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. We sure cover a lot of uh, topics When we go into God's Word, and James like covers them all. And even in the sense of going after somebody who needs to be brought back to truth. Now he says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, one turns him back. My brethren, okay, my brethren. And you notice James uses my brethren all the way through here. And in this case here, it's a, of course, you have to start with true believers that are with him, brothers. Or the whole body that's there, including not only believers, but some people who can profess to be Christians and are not. He may not necessarily know who they are. So our question is, is James talking about backsliding believers, or is he talking about somebody who's not really genuine to his profession? Those who really don't know Christ. Who is he talking about? Well, I think when you read verse 19, I think you would automatically make an assumption. I know I would. It says my brethren, if any among you strays, any, any in the in the body of Christ, there, in your local church, if they stray from the truth, one turns him back. He says, if any among you, among you, and you, and you would think, well, that would be a believer, and that would be okay to think that. But the thing is, when we get into verse 20, we run into a situation that maybe helps us understand a little bit better. So let him know that he who turns a sinner, and we'll get into that word, from the error of his way will save his, here's a key word, soul from death. And we'll cover a multitude of sins. Now, we can apply this, you know, going after... Uh, other ones that are Christians Christians can get off the path can't they Pilgrim's Progress we know about that right and uh, they're still doing the Pilgrim's Progress on Sunday nights it's still going on so keep praying for that ministry that's uh, that, uh, what has happened there and, uh, and that can make a powerful impact uh, what a book that was but uh, here we're talking about a soul Dealing with death, it sounds like saving a soul from hell here, not necessarily a physical death. we're talking about a soul here dealing with death so true saving faith or fake faith and when you see physical death, somebody can say well this that's what this is this is he will save his soul from a physical death from from, from dying. Well, the thing is people will all die and there is a God God does discipline for sin and he he causes some to die and we've seen that in other passages and I know it's in, uh, in Corinthians dealing with the Lord's Supper it's even there and you think of Ananias and Sapphira and Acts chapter 5 so it does happen uh, dealing with discipline so we don't deny that uh, James is writing to the church here but he knows that there are some false professions some in that church, and this is his overall theme all the way through. And James really says that your life, your Christian walk, really is a life of good works. He talked about the word of God, the word of God implanted in us, and you know, uh, faith is going to be seen by their works. James is uh, argues greatly for that. Let's go back to chapter one verse 22. He says, "But prove yourselves what? Doers of the word, show yourself that you're Christians by doing the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. See right there, there are hearers who delude themselves, who are really not true, but there are ones who are true, and they prove that and they do the word. Uh, chapter 2 verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? These are familiar, aren't they? Very familiar. Verse 26 of chapter 2. For just as a body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So James has made that very clear. Um, if you go into First John... John does that all the way through. It's nothing but test all the way through whether one's a believer or not. Uh, If you look in James 2, verse uh, 6, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Now we'll go to uh, chapter 3. Verse 7. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. And that's part of his life. He practices. That's part of who he is. Is what he does. Just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin, that means he, it's just constantly doing that. That's a part of his life, is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who was born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, in, in earlier in First John, it talks about that we are to confess our sin. Here it's talking about practicing sin. It's still ongoing. That's a part of your life. That's what you, that you are, that's still the sinner uh, unconverted. And that's what First John puts forth. Black and white. Just boom, boom. That's the way it is. Now, let's go to Matthew 13. Matthew 13 is the parable of the soils. You yeah, have the four soils there. Of course, 13 is known for those, that, those great parables. If we start in verse 3, this is Jesus speaking, and He spoke many things of them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds, fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. So there's one soil. It's, a, it's the hard soil. Nothing's going to grow on there. Birds going to come along and pick it up. Others fell on the rocky places where they didn't have much soil, immediately sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when, they, um, when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Then others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And then here's their fourth soil. And others fell on the good soil. yielded you know, a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, will let him hear. Check this out. Examine it. it. says, listen to this. You really need to look at it. Uh, if we skip to verse 18, kind of get an explanation of it now. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes, snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road on the hard ground. The birds come up get it snatch it out the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy yet he has no firm root in himself but is only temporary and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word (laughs) immediately falls away things are going good this is great it's great to be a Christian yeah man I'm a Christian I love it man this is super man I love it I wouldn't be anywhere else now. And then, boom, a trial comes along and they're out of there because of the Word of God. They stood for the Word of God for a moment and they got ridiculed and they took a hike. Gone. And the one of whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the Word, the worry of the world and deceitfulness of wealth choke the Word and it becomes unfruitful. So there's um, the uh, the thorny ground falls on the thorns it's the worries. All the things, and people are after the money, and the, so they go after that. And the, you know, they're, they're concerned about themselves, and they take a hike out too. And then verse 23. The one on whom seed was sown on the good soil. This is a man who hears the word, and what? He understands. Who indeed bears fruit, brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. There's a parable of the four soils. There's only one soil out of those four soils. That's any good. God prepared that soil. And that, that is one who is a genuine believer. All the other ones are not. They made professions, but whenever the time came, they couldn't stand up for the faith, and they were out. They left, as First John 2 says. And that's what James is saying right here. There were many who were leaving. Whenever they the Word of God came to be the most important thing, it's either the Word of God and what He says or what the world is saying. The straying one. That straying one may be one who's on the rocky soil. He's He's a believer, quotes. He believes in God, believes in Jesus, but he's... Or you have a thorny soil believer, neither type is truly saved, and they don't bring forth the fruit. if you don't have fruit, then it shows that that tree is dead. there's nothing there. it's a dead faith, and that's what James has been talking about. Show me your faith by your works, he says, but we're not saved by works, are we?
1: <coughs> Excuse me.
0: Sorry for the water break. I'm going to get through this today. I'm going to make it. with God's in His strength. Yeah, keep
1: praying.
0: <clears throat> uh, when we talk about not a genuine Christian, uh, of course, like I say, there are many who interpret this as uh, actually a true Christian. He's a backslider it's gone astray you know what I can understand that because I've probably flip up down through the years on this and, and I can see why people take that view I really can I know exactly why they're saying it and it can be done in a way but I think legitimately what it's being saying when you put those two verses together that you're dealing with a soul uh, that's going to be in, in debt uh, and I truly think that that's dealing with hell I think it's certainly viable uh, why this could be it could be a right interpretation I, I could be taking this wrong but I think what we're going to do is we're going to take this dealing with the one who is not a Christian who strays as James gives a warning here and here's what we as Christians are, are to do about that the focus of this, uh, of this passage really is uh, one who is spiritual is to go after one who is in error whether they're a believer or not sometimes you don't even know Most, a lot of times you don't I thought they were a believer. Man, the things that they've been doing and saying and acting and everything and, and some of the statements that they've made, they might even say, I don't even believe in God. I'm an atheist now. What do you do with that? Well, now I have to take for what they're saying now. If that, be the case, if that really is the case, they need evangelism. They need the gospel. We want to turn them back to the truth. If they are a Christian... Then there are many passages that deal with that, and I can think of Galatians six uh, for one. So it says, if anyone among you in verse thirteen, it's interesting. We're in James, right? Well, I'm first John, but I'll try to get back to James here. Okay, my brethren, if any among you strays. Now this is interesting. Have we seen this before? Even in this chapter, if anyone among you go back to verse thirteen. Remember this section? Is anyone among you suffering? They're just talking about Christians. Do Christians suffer? Yeah. If, if you suffer, what is it? What, you pray. Okay. Uh, how about verse 14? 14, right? Is anyone among you sick? Right? Is anyone among you sick? Then have elders come and pray over them at that time. And then we have this verse 19. My brethren, if any among you strays... Now he's gotten to the point the others could very well be believers, probably were. Now you've got one who is straying and we'll get to what that definition of that word means and put all these, these words in and we can see why we can kind of take it that way. Uh, go pursue them. But, you know, I was talking about Galatians six one. let Let's say if one is a Christian, same kind of process. You want to you humble yourself... You want to check your own self. But he says, uh, brethren, even if, if anyone is caught, if anyone, anyone among you, is caught in any trespass, you, who are the elders and the pastors, go after them. No, it doesn't read that way, does it? You who are spiritual. Who's spiritual? Be filled with the Spirit. We're commanded. Every Christian is. If you are walking in the Spirit, if you're being obedient to Christ, you're pursuing Him, you're spiritual. You're spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Aha, uh-huh, there we go. Don't come in there storming after them, you know, and start blasting them. It says, do it with gentleness, do it with truth, but with love. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. We can become very prideful, in our spiritual walk and now all of a sudden we're not spiritual even though we think we are you know we got the word of God here man you know I don't want blast this guy but he says bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ for if anyone thinks he's something when well, he's nothing <laughs> he deceives himself but each one must examine his own work and then he'll have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not regard to another for each one will bear his own load so he says you're spiritual restore that person spirit of gentleness that's talking about another Christian so if this is talking about a Christian or James okay, fine Galatians 6 saying the same thing if he's not a Christian fine go to the guy anyway (laughs) and matter of fact you might be praying that he be saved because it sure seems like he's lost might be confused I'm not so sure but boy I think he's lost I don't think he ever was a Christian who are we to judge but at the same time we take that seriously whenever they make terrible statements and do certain things in their lives Uh, to ignore one is like somebody watching TV while they could be out hunting for somebody that's lost in the woods right Okay, uh, my brethren if anyone among you strays interesting word there for strays it's planetes and if you take off that last letter S you've got planet and that's exactly how we get our English word. Planet is like a, it means a wandering body. You know? They're out there doing their thing, right? But that's where that Greek word came from. And our English came from that. Uh, a wandering body. It means a, some kind of physical wandering. Uh, sometimes it can mean spiritual wandering, spiritual drifting. Frequently, it's referred to the unsaved as this. Uh, the unsaved are said to wander. They are said to stray. A lot of passages dealing with Old New Testament on that. There are people who will wander from the truth. That's what he says here. If anyone among you strays from the truth, Planetase, to wander, to stray off from the truth. They have the word of God taught around them, but they wandered off. That's That's the thought. Wandered from the truth. And... That idea of truth is something that our culture denies today. They've been saying it all along and boy do they ever really mean it. They reject the truth. They reject the truth of the gospel. A true Christian is not going to deny Jesus Christ, is he? If you have one that denies Christ now, it seems like that that person, he says he doesn't believe in Christ. Christ is not God, doesn't believe in the deity of Christ has nothing to do with him Jesus is not God Um, now I have to take them as an unbeliever I'm going to approach them now as they need the good news of the gospel they are sinners and there is judgment hanging for them if they make that statement they may you know a Christian can fall into sin right I I don't know about that falling you know but yeah, they can and they can kind of stray off in, in a way, right? And be uh, in iniquity, uh, disobedient. But they're not going to wander away from the truth, and that's what this statement says. They they stray away from the truth, and and, and we're getting into apostasy here, turning their back on it, rejecting it, not believing in it. Anymore. I once believed that, but I don't anymore. And truth is really something that's objective. Truth is not a subjective feeling, but it's a reality. It's an objective reality. It's real. James is referring to the truth of the gospel specifically here. That's the truth that they really left. Truth is not just doctrinal to James, and it is because this has been a highly doctrinal book, hasn't it? But it's also been a very, very practical book. Maybe one of the most practical books in all the Bible. So he is doctrinal and positional in their their walk. Godly living. Look in James 3, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Boy, he hits hard with that, doesn't he? If you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, he says, don't be arrogant. You're lying against the truth. Look what the truth says about that. How about chapter 1, verse 18 of James? In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the what? The Word of Truth. Matter of fact, that brought us forth means that's how we were born again. To be brought forth. To be born again. To be converted. He brought us forth. How did He do it? By the Word of Truth. So that we'd be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. That we are fruit of Him when He makes us born again. Jesus said in John 8.31, John 8.31, about truth here. John 8. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed Him, they said they believed Him, if you continue in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. There is a key word there, if, and I don't want to go around scaring people, and it's a matter of works now from here on out, and if you do a particular sin, then you're going to lose it because we don't believe... In losing salvation, we believe in eternal security, uh, because of all the scripture that says about it. don't have the time to go through that, but he says, "Now this is on the other side, though. If you want to show if you want to show outwardly that you're a believer, you're going to have works, James says. Jesus says along the same lines, he's saying that you abide in my word. You live in the word. you live it out. You not only say you believe the Word and you read it, but He says you continue. You continue in My Word. It's a part of your life. If you show that, that will show that you are a believer. You will not lose it because you have it. If you didn't have it in the first place, you really don't lose it, do you? Because you never had it. Talking with people who say they believe in losing salvation, and you finally get them to the point. you, 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 You... Show them Scripture where it shows that, you know, we're in the Father's hand, and we're in Christ's hand. He's the Good Shepherd, and He's not going to lose any. And you know, my goodness, Romans eight, the whole chapter, Romans eight, you know, and we're there forever. For we have eternal life, you know. John, the book of John's all the way through there, dealing with that. But to the ones who say, you can lose salvation. You go through those passages and they'll say, but, but, and they'll take you to Hebrews and say, exactly. And in Hebrews it says, if you, you say, well, oh, see, it me. it's all up to you. Now, salvation is all about God, isn't it? We can't do anything to gain salvation. But because you are a Christian, now you will do these things. And in Hebrews, that, he's showing who's true and who's not. That's the whole idea of Hebrews. It's just like what James is saying. It's, and James is writing to Jews. and then of course, John, he says the same thing, black and white. So all those writers are saying the same thing. There's Jesus saying the same thing. If you continue, if you abide in my word, if you live in my word, if this is a part of your life, you're mine. It shows you. It shows on the this is the result of it. We never worked for it. Look in Galatians 1, 6 through 6-9. There's a false gospel going around. There's only one gospel, but really there was one that was a false gospel. It was work salvation, by the way. Paul attacks that. It says in verse 6 of chapter 1, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting Him. Deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. You're leaving for a different gospel. It's a works-based salvation, which is really not another. There's only one gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Damned is the idea. That's what cursed is there. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. I think that is very serious. This is Paul writing here. If you preach anything other than the gospel which says God is holy, man is sinful, he is wicked, and he's left in his... Dead trespasses unless God comes in and saves them. There's the good news that we're to trust in Christ and that sacrificial work and the only way that we can be saved. And there is no other gospel. Whatever's being presented out there, he says, the one who does that, let them be damned. Wow, Paul. Well, Galatians it hits right on it. And he doesn't even come in there saying, hey, you know... um, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, grace, peace, and love. I mean, this is. The, I mean, he says it a little bit, and boom, he just starts hitting uh, exactly right in where they need to be hearing. It's that serious. The gospel has to be preached in its right way, objectively. So now we go to number three, which is verse twenty. You know, God found it. Mick Lewis, I want to say thanks for putting this on the Facebook. You don't even know what I've got probably right here in my hand and then again you may.
1: Um,
0: but you put up a post and it was really a, it took took a will take you to an article dealing with a guy that's out of a group that we all have been amazed by and and they have put out fantastic music. Their lyrics are great. They've had award-winning gold records. Uh, Back in the 90s, they were the hottest thing going. Uh, They've been around a long time. They're still around. I have to wonder uh, if they will be supported much by Christians. I hope they're not if they continue in what they're doing. At least uh, uh, this one I'm talking about, his name is Hazeltine. He's the founder, co-founder of the group Jars of Clay. Uh, the reason I tell you this, is this is how some people do. I'm not making any judgment on him. I all I can say is this is what he said. This sounds like a James passage to me. I'll read a, a, a few of these things. Two years ago, the Jars co-founder wrote in a blog post that he was tired of carrying evangelical expectations on his shoulders. And well, you can say, well, he's tired of the weight that's been put on to him because you know there's stars and everywhere they go, they have people flooding after him. Flood, right? You remember that song? That was a huge song. Some of you might know. But this, it, it starts like that. And then it starts sliding. That was some time ago. And he says, at one point, I was sure of who God was and how God operated. But I'm not that now. This this blew me away. Nick, I just had to keep reading over this. I said, surely this can't be true. I mean... Jars of Clay doctrinally are one of the most soundest theologically sovereign god groups that I know of in contemporary Christian music. music. We <laughs> play their stuff all the time. And their I mean their lyrics have been so good. And I'm going, I can't believe he's saying this. It's like one you know a favorite teacher saying this. And Hazeltine posted a series of tweets suggesting that there wasn't a single argument, scriptural or otherwise, that could persuade him redefining marriage is wrong. We're talking about same-sex marriage from one who was considered very conservative in his beliefs. Not meaning to stir things up, but is there a non-speculative or a non-slippery slope reason why gays shouldn't marry? I don't hear one, he tweeted. I'm trying to make sense of the conservative argument, but it doesn't hold up to a basic scrutiny. It feels akin to women's suffrage. I just don't see a negative effect to allowing gay marriage. Boom! the world has gotten to him hasn't it he believed this would he said this five years ago I doubt it mm. the social media bombshell surprised then angered the group's fan base now the writer comes on and says this many of whom had followed the band's massive rise to stardom three Grammys since the 90's want to know a good reason for opposing sex marriage people wrote back how about what God says that's what they did Amen. A lot of people fired off references from the New and Old Testament, reiterating God's views of sexuality. Hazeltine shrugged them off, explaining, I don't particularly care about Scripture's stance or what's wrong. I, I, I really couldn't believe this. I care more about how it says we should treat people. Tweeting Scripture verses to settle my questions of gay marriage isn't helpful simple answers to complex questions. That only made matters worse. What did he say with, about the Word of God? What did he say here? What did he say about the truth? It doesn't matter. It's about their feelings. And we feel—we got to love them. That's true. We've we got to love them, but we do it with truth. He took all the truth out. He, you know, He just said, I don't care what the Scripture says. I don't care what it says here's what I think what we need to do. Man, that reeks of somebody who's a fake Christian. Now, he may not be. Okay, he's taken aside a gay marriage. What he said about Scripture now has hit me right blasted in the face because it's too clear. And what he later said, maybe I, I said it wrong in the way that I did it, but I still mean basically what I say. You know, like, Maybe I shouldn't have said it about the Word of God, but he made people mad. It's going to be hard for them to go to concerts, I think, uh, amongst Christian crowd. Uh, And I I think uh, their music has been taken off uh, a lot of radio stations and such. That's Uh, just
1: one example of, of what
0: we're seeing in the church. Exactly. Among
1: pastors, among church leaders.
0: Pastors are starting to take that view. Church is taking that view. And say, well, those are the liberal ones. Now we're, we're talking about extremely conservative people.
1: That reminds me of, uh, I was listening to John McCarthy the other day. Um, he has a sermon titled, Foolishness of God. But he talks about how a man's philosophy always kind of wins over God's revelation. And some of what you read in that letter makes it sound like he's are starting to philosophy versus... God's divine revelation, and so it's like it's just kind of crazy how it just kind of happened, you know.
0: It that is. that's exactly what's going on there, and it and it seems like it's right. It seems like that's the loving that. We'll just go ahead. Listen, that's that's the key point, though, it's, and it's about the Word of God and what God said. What you know is stated very truly. My my intent was not to get onto that particular subject, but we know what we think about whether it be same-sex marriage, or we can say anything else for that matter. It comes down to that Word of God versus what? The philosophy. The philosophy is always going to say something that sounds nicer and better sometimes than the Word of God does. It can be very clear. So, anyway, um, yeah, thank, thanks for that. putting that on there. I, I would not have known otherwise. Uh, but that was sad. That really kind of uh, disturbed me That at that time. Well, let's look at verse 20 let that one who strays from the truth one is to go to him and turn him back let him know let that person who who turns one back actually says they've turned a sinner key word from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins Here's the results of restoration that we'll look at in verse 20 here. Um, Key word, sinner. Now, I don't want to be real legalistic about it, but every time in Scripture, it's always used of the unregenerate. Never will you see it where it is talking about a believer. Now, do we still sin? Yeah, we do. We battle it. We have to be honest. We struggle against sin. We war against it. Sometimes we lose some battles. We don't win those battles all the time. But in Scripture, just by going with Scripture... It's speaking of an unbeliever, a hardened unbeliever. We're talking about one who is openly defiant against the law of God, the Word of God, ignores the standards of morality, just like this case here. I'm not saying Hazeltine's uh, not a Christian. Uh, Boy, something has really happened That's severe. I almost take it as he's spurning the Word of God. He did. He said it. I don't care what the Word of God says. We're, we're talking about somebody who denies Scripture. He's an openly bad person, evil character. It's apparent to everybody. He's wicked. Okay, this is talking about in this sense that that is one who's unregenerate. Uh, let's trace through some Scripture dealing with the word sinner, and these are ones that really stick out. There are many of them. Genesis thirteen thirteen. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Well, that's an easy one, isn't it? Oh, wait a minute. What are we in today? We're in Sodom and Gomorrah, folks. We really are. Look what kind of people they had at that time. All right. Uh, Psalm 1, verse 5. Funny how everybody knows about Sodom and Gomorrah. People who have never gone to church, people who have never been Christians or anything, wouldn't even want to be a Christian, and they still know about Sodom and Gomorrah. Why is it that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? (laughs) God will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah (laughs) if he doesn't judge our nation because we're doing the same thing. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Who are the wicked here? Well, they're unbelievers, right? Again, chapter 25, verse 8 of Psalms. We're just trying to show why, what this word sinner is. Who who is, who is described as a sinner? Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners... In the way, there you could say, well, that could be Christian because he instructs us. But it's, you know, it starts at salvation. But there, he's talking about God is good. He's upright. He's righteous, and he shows and he instructs what righteousness is. He he is the righteousness. He gives us his righteousness, convicts of sin. Convicts of sin. That's the instruction, isn't it? Aren't we glad he did that to us? Proverbs chapter 20 no proverbs 11 verse 31 if the righteous will be rewarded in the earth how much more the wicked and the sinner matthew 9:13 matthew 9:13 But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. That's salvation right there. He came to call the sinners, that they would be righteous. That he declares them righteous, makes them righteous. Luke seven thirty seven. There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, short on time, but she shows right there. There's a conversion that happens here. But she realizes her need and she's before the Savior right there. Anoints him. Luke 15, verse 7. Dealing with Sinners. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And we're talking about for salvation. 99 who are uh, righteous, they're believers, and then you have one here uh, who is a sinner. And how joyful that is when that one is converted. Uh, John 9, verse 16 a lot of verses dealing with the sinners isn't it therefore some of the Pharisees were saying this man is not from God this is Jesus they're speaking about you know what they call him because he does not keep the Sabbath but others were saying how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs so they're saying wait a minute how can can you call him like a sinner when he does these signs though they were saying he was really an unbeliever He's outcast from them as far as their view was. Verse 24. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Jesus is a sinner. He's not a believer. He's not really from God. Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, what were we? We were sinners. We sin today as Christians, but we're not the sinners. We're not that same group that was before Christ. It goes on and on. John says a sinner cannot be a Christian in 1 John. A Christian may sin, but he'll never be characterized as a sinner. That's the idea. We are not characterized as sinners anymore. That's not our nature. And so that's why that's dealing with that. Then the next statement says, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way. It's the same verb from uh, verb that comes from wander. Remember we said planetes, planet. Error is the same thing. It's, it's the same idea. They've gone into uh, error. Uh, they've gone into wandering. The key concept though is his way. From the error of his way. That means out. That's his life. His way, his own lifestyle. His own pattern of living. His own kind of life. That's what one is turning. Matter of fact, he's turned against theology. When you turn against the theology, what happens? The lifestyle changes. So you have theology, you have lifestyle. As far as a Christian, our lifestyle is only going to be as good as what we believe. If we believe God to be true and all of that, he says, then we'll be lining up to that. But if we don't believe in that theology... What kind of lifestyle are we going to live? Everything that's against God. Look at the world. Easy to see, isn't it? If they don't have the theology of who God is, then they'll be living like uh, a sinner, which they are. Uh, Errant lifestyle. Refusing to walk in obedience. Drifting away from the gospel message. An ingenuine false dead faith. Then we get the word soul. We'll come back to save, but let's look at soul. Soul. Uh, you, you turn that sinner, you want to turn him from the error of his way and what he's doing. Look at that. You know, the, you're going to save his soul. The word for soul is suke. We even get our word psychology from that. It's dealing with the whole person, the real person, the soul, a person's soul. Let him know whoever turns someone, a sinner from the error of his way, will save his soul, his whole being. Not just his physical body, but his whole being. It's his soul. We're talking about the spiritual aspect there. So therefore, this is why I I have to become convinced. We're talking about one here, is one who has lost his salvation, and I don't believe in that, or he is really an unbeliever, always has been, even though he professed it at one time. Some people say, you know what? If they said if they walk down that aisle and they said the prayer and they said they were a believer, no matter what they do, no matter how much they turn against God, and they claim Satan as God and join a satanic cult, they're still believers and they have eternal life. Some of those guys came out of a, a seminary that I used to respect so well. It's called Dallas Theological Seminary. And they were going against John MacArthur's book that dealt with... Um, um, Lordship yeah, Lordship, salvation, about true, genuine faith, and what it really is, according to Christ. as a gospel according to Jesus. Then he wrote a book called "Gospel According to Apostles." They reacted and wrote a book, grace and free salvation, and it is absolutely. But they went on to show that it doesn't matter what your lifestyle does from there on out. Once you've made a profession, you are a Christian. These are coming from theologians who've actually written some pretty good books. So, this is the kind of thing we're talking about here. This is a soul. This is the inner being, the human soul. Uh, this is what's really important. He says, You've saved his soul. Now, we know we don't save, God does, but by answering to what God calls us to do. And in um, 1.15 of James, why does time fly by on Sunday mornings so quickly? 1.15, Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. If we don't have a good news, if we haven't been converted, eventually sin will bring us in to death or hell. It's the natural course of the unchecked sin that ends in spiritual separation from God. I have a lot of verses and they're all up there. Um, You see them, Ezekiel, it's dealing with death and Romans and Proverbs and Revelation and those are all over the place. Uh, Do you realize their eternal soul is headed for death Caring for a multitude of sins, turning back the sinner. He who turns back the sinner. Epistrefo. It, it means that to turn around. It means to turn back. It means to convert. Sin just keeps on accumulating and accumulating. How many sins does it take? One. The nature has already got us there. But um, you know, when, when you think of this covering a multitude of sins, it just more and more and more. It just stacked up against us. God will use on that judgment day to one who is not a believer. And they'll just, they're, what they're doing is accumulating. But here it says, He will cover a multitude of sins um, if He forgives all their sins. If a professing, professing believer persists in sin, you don't want to assure him that he's eternally secure. If he's just a prof, uh, professing and he is living absolutely in sin, the Bible never gives that kind of comfort to an unrepentant person. Oh, you're okay. Don't worry about it. Paul says to examine ourselves as if we're in the faith. Um, but we want to turn back. We have the... Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.18, the ministry of reconciliation. Let's look at that for a moment. 2 Corinthians 5.18. Here's what you have as a Christian. You are to reconcile the lost to God. You, matter of fact, you're commanded to do that. Now, all these things are from God, verse 18, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting the trespasses against Him and committed to us. The word of reconciliation. To reconcile them back to God. Mankind can be reconciled. And that's the ministry we have. And, and we want to restore a sinner. And um, and we don't want to, and we want to be careful about not revealing their sins. It doesn't need to be seen outwardly anymore either, does it? God forgives those sins, but now that they are out of that sin, now it doesn't even have to be talked about. You've covered over the sins. You don't talk about that anymore. You talk about how they can be free in Christ. The word save there is sozo. It's a word for salvation. It's the most common word in the New Testament for salvation. We are the instrument that God uses to bring about the goal of turning people from being sinners to salvation and having forgiveness of all the multitudes of sins that they've done, cast away as far as the east is from the west. We want to be converting people in, in God's ministry. That they'd be saved. that would be saved from their sins. That they would be what? Forgiven people. Isn't that the best thing that you can think about? We are forgiven.
1: Amen.
0: And you can say that to all other believers. We're forgiven. We know we sin. We know we were sinners. They of the forgiveness here is really impressed upon us. He will cover a multitude of sins. And I'll finish with this verse, I promise. Psalm 32.1 Psalm 32.1 It's a great verse. I had it underlined so I have to use this one. <laughs> how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. How happy, how blessed we are. Aren't you glad to hear that? Isn't that great news? Despite all that guilt we used to have and maybe even carry sometimes in our walk in the Christian life, we're forgiven. Whose sin is covered. That was the idea of the Old Testament sacrifice. It was a covering of the sin. Ultimately, it was taken away. Forgiveness. We've been forgiven. And that's what we want to tell others that they can be forgiven if it doesn't seem like, if it seems like they're lost. We are the search and rescue team. You're on the team. Search and rescue. Father, we thank you, praise you, glorify your name. You are holy indeed. Lord, what a task we have as ministers of reconciliation. You've given us the good news to carry to some people who think they are believers and they're not. Also, we have that same thing for Christians who have fallen, and we want to come alongside and encourage them. Thank you for this day, Lord, and we thank you for all the the mothers who have given... Their lives have poured their lives into their kids are pouring right now or have poured or continue to pour as long as their mothers are mothers, they will continue to do that. What a blessing they are and they know full well that that is a high calling. What a ministry it is to be in a position of being a mother. Thank you for them and being so faithful to this church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.